The following presentation has been prepared by the Video Tax News team for Canadian tax and financial professionals. Program recorded September 16th, 2019. Enjoy! Welcome to Life in the Tax Lane, the October slash election edition. Slash? This was like Halloween, oh, you know, oh, like was slash. slash? Yeah, that's very good. <laughs> cute. So cute. Wow. I think we'll just get right down to it, Joe. Uh, so yep, cut to the we chase. We had a case on employment insurance this month. Uh, bad enough they lost their job. What did they lose their job for? Well, mm. according to the EI system, employee misconduct. Uh, Part of their contract said, hey, our business is in a dry community. The bylaws say nobody can consume, manufacture, <laughs> sell alcohol or other unprescribed pharmaceuticals. And yet we got reports that you're publicly intoxicated. Uh, well, the deal said you're not allowed to do that on the job or off the job. You're fired. Yeah. Fine. I'll go down the street and I'll collect my EI. Well, EI people look at this and go, no, that was misconduct. They were entitled to fire you. You don't get EI. And the court looked at this and said, hey, you signed the contract. You'd been disciplined for this before, and you knew from your contract that discipline up to and including termination was possible. Suck it up. You don't collect EI. Employee misconduct. Kate, you were talking to someone about employee misconduct issues a while back. Not on your personal <laughs> well, was I? Yeah, well, I was just thinking, you know, this is really interesting because you have more and more employers that are particularly interested in what their employees are doing mm -hmm. on social media, on LinkedIn, and, you know, your conduct there not only could impact whether you have a job or not, but like you said, whether you get EI or not. Yeah. Well, why don't we just jump away from that because this is going to get dangerous very quickly if we don't. Why don't we jump into some property flipping issues, Kate? Oh, yeah. As we've discussed on prior life in the tax line, CRA has a very significant focus on real estate. I mean, for example, going back to 2015, they've really focused in on Vancouver and Toronto, the greater Toronto uh, metropolitan region. And so what we have today is a court case that appears to be coming from those projects. So what do we have here? Taxpayer, realtor, he sells four properties in a five-year period with big, big gains. CRA sees this and says, well, we think you're in the business of buying and selling properties, full income inclusion. 2.5 million. 2.5 million. Taxpayer said, no, 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 I'm That's in no business. In Vancouver, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's not talk about the real estate market there. It's changed since a few years back. Uh, nonetheless, uh, the taxpayer took the position, you know what, I bought those properties to live in it. It was my principal residence. I get to claim the principal residence exemption. No tax on the gate. Good to go. So, Joe, where do we land? Full income inclusion. Well, full exemption or somewhere in the middle? Well, the courts, first of all, has to figure if it's on account of income or capital. Income, full inclusion, capital, half. And then maybe if it's capital, you get the principal yeah. residence exemption. Uh, so anyways, what are the things you're gonna take a look at? The court started off by looking at the nature of the property. So is what you bought and sold something that it is easy or ripe for a flip or to make a quick profit on? Well, a house, that's a bit difficult. But the judge specifically noted we're talking about Vancouver, 
prices had gone up significantly. The person was a real estate agent and likely knew this, that, that there was opportunity for profit. Plus, the specific type of property purchased, well, three of them were basically tear down houses. Mm -hmm. Knock them down, build something new, make a profit. So low value things that could be flipped. So the nature did not play in this person's favor. favor. Length of ownership. On average, each of the properties was owned for a year and a half, and most of that time was spent knocking down the old house, building the new house, and only was lived in for a very short period of time. Again, again that indicated business-like. Frequency or number of transactions. Well, we saw four sales within five years, plus that individual did a little bit of buying and selling for his father, for the girlfriend's common law. We don't know exactly what it was, but a special relationship, and also for his corporation. So similar types of activities indicated that overall, this is a business-like activity. And um, I guess one of the other thing too is work expended. You know, how much effort did you put into this? Well, it was noted that his real estate commission for the year was only between twenty and $15,000, which is very low for Vancouver. So what did you spend most of your time doing? Must have been on this. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, they decided this was, on account of income, full inclusion. Yeah, but that's not the, the end of the day, hey, Well, the Hugh? judge could have stopped and not talked about principal <laughs> residence exemption, but maybe he's trying to appeal-proof himself, just yep. in case a higher court says, oh, it really was on capital. It said, in order to be principal residence exemption, A, it's got to be capital. You're already done. B, you've got to ordinarily inhabit the property. And I'm not sure I'm going to rely on just your word for that. What did you bring me as evidence? Oh, you brought bills from the properties to show you live there. Perfect. What are they? Oh, they're for gas and insurance. Well, whether it's occupied or vacant, wouldn't you have to heat it and insure it? Uh, how about internet? How about cable? How about bank statements, correspondence from the credit card company, your tax return address? These are all things you would change if you moved in to live there, so I'm not seeing much to show me you did live there. Furthermore, not only do your real estate listings when you sold them off say they're brand new, it also says you get a budget to buy appliances. So I'm finding it hard to believe you were living there instead of all the other places you had Skip available. Skip the dishes. To. Come on. Well, that was actually more relevant Skip for the, the next living. step because we focus a lot on income tax. Mm -hmm. But if you're selling new residential real estate, you're a builder as defined for GST purposes, you're supposed to have collected 5% when you sold those properties. So if you didn't, yeah, you did. You owe us the 5%. Uh, and the judge looked at that and said, there's lots of exclusions. But as an individual, once you're carrying on a business or an adventure in the nature of trade, which is a property flip outside of a pure business, then you're not excluded from being a builder. you got to collect GST. And he said, now, if you had, as an individual, used it primarily as a residence, then you're off the hook for GST. But obviously you didn't, because I've concluded you didn't live in it. So. <laughs> and that's probably as bad as it can get, most of us figure. He probably figured. 500 well, and how many thousand? It can get 50% worse. And it did. CRA said, this was grossly negligent. <laughs> the judge said... You're an experienced real estate developer. You're a knowledgeable business person. You actually talked to some accountants about the principal residence exemption rules in principle, but not on any of these specific properties. It's big dollars compared to your income. If nothing else, this is willful blindness. Yep. That's enough for gross negligence. So that's penalties on both the income tax and the GST. 
pretty expensive trip through the tax court for this fellow. And I know as practitioners, unfortunately, these questions come to us from our clients all too often. This, I think, is a great case to give to some of your clients that may be a little bit more aggressive in their positions. It can get nasty, really, really nasty. It's sure a nice answer to that client who says, what's the worst thing that could go wrong? <laughs> let's test it, it out. <laughs> well, let's jump on to the next topic here. Caitlin? Yeah, Tax Court of Canada case looking at whether some travel expenses uh, could be deductible as an employment expense. And the crux of the matter here was whether the taxpayer's house was considered an employer's place of business. Because if it was considered an employer's place of business, then travel from his home to other employer places of business would be a deductible expense. And the taxpayer took the position, well, you know, I work on the weekend every once in a while. I squeeze a little bit of work in, you know, to my, you know, on a Friday or a Monday. And as such, I think my home is considered an employer's place of business. The court disagreed with him. He says, you know, squeezing in a little work here and there at home is not sufficient in and of itself to constitute an employer's place of business. Further, you didn't provide any evidence as to whether you even had a home office, no testimony, no photos, nothing. No place of business at your home and therefore travel from your home to your employer's place of business was personal. And you might think, oh, it's not too bad, a few miles here or there. Mm -hmm. Not in this case, the taxpayer resided in Ottawa and the employer's place of business to which he commuted on a weekly basis was Regina. So we have tons of airfare and tons of accommodation hotel bills in Regina. Wow. Well, let's move on to the next topic here. Shared custody parents, equal or near equal basis. If you want to get the Canada Child Benefit, uh, if it's if it's going to be split between two parties, uh, the ex-spouses, uh, you got to at least live with the kid, according to one of the most recent court cases, 45% of the time. Now, um, the court, or basically the government said, you know what, 45% is not consistent with some of the other standards we have. We want that number to be 40%. So they proposed legislation which would actually hard code it at 40% with a little bit of wiggle room if need be. Hugh, Katie, any comments on that? Well, I think making this consistent with shared custody for the child, Canada yeah. Child Support Guidelines puts it back to how CRA mm -hmm. envisioned it to begin with. And it does make sense to have one standard yeah. across. And this is actually retroactive to 2011 when the rule to be able to split benefits came into effect. The Video Tax News team has been providing Canadian professionals with practical tax information for over 30 years. Subscribe to one of our tax newsletters or join us as we present live and online seminars relating to both personal and corporate tax. For more details, visit www.videotax.com. That's V-I-D-E-O. TAX.com. The preceding information is for general informational purposes only and deals with dynamic, time sensitive, and complex matters that may not apply to particular facts and circumstances. Information provided should not be relied upon as a substitute for specialized professional advice in connection with any particular matter. For more details, see videotax.com slash disclaimer. Copyright Video Tax News Inc. 2019. All rights reserved.